2: KCCN Television, Channel 10, the station that talks to the heart of cabin country.
1: Join us on Channel 10 this Halloween for another entertaining half-hour of It Destroyed Our Live Box. Your host for this annual delving into the monsters of the freshwater deep, Olander Bingen, Your host for this annual Spooktacular Stories event. These listener-donated tales of cold water and unseen force will keep your head on a swivel as we approach the spookiest time of the year. An empty live box, Fins and flotsam, huge holes ripped in wirework. As the harvest moon rises and the temperatures decline, unspeakable horrors rise from the depths. And make off with your smallmouth.
2: That's It Destroyed Our Live Box, once again this Halloween on Channel 10, KCCN Television. Channel 10, the station that talks to the heart of cabin country.
1: From the long shadows under St. Paul's number one, along the slow, swirling darkness of the Mississippi. From the windswept shadows of Lower Town to the hollow emptiness of the Wabashaw Caves. Welcome to a special edition of Cabin Country. Let's find the place where the wind moans down chimney stacks and the ravens watch for leafless lambs. Fill your coffee cup and move close to the fire as we join Bjorn and Fudd in a seasonal edition
2: Welcome to the third annual,
1: third annual,
2: Halloween season special, all
1: Hallow's Eve, yes. I
2: guess you can tell that Bjorn and I are fans of of all things Halloween, I guess. You bet. Last year it seemed like kind of a dud, other than our show. <laughs> uh, it's, as a family, it was, yeah. it was kind of a dud of wow. a tail end of a... COVID, I think right. like, kids weren't really going out yet. Right, right. And uh, I think it was like the first year we just like had our light off and the door locked. And oh, wow. It, I mean, we don't, uh, you know, here near the Oakdale Studios, we don't actually get a lot of kids coming
1: by. Smaller smaller crowd out here. For yeah. Okay. That's. I, I don't know why that surprises me. I
2: far. mean, when we first moved in a good, almost 15 years ago, there were plenty. Lots...
1: Um, youngsters decked out like minions, and <laughs> right, yeah, yes. Beethoven, I think there was the dog that is not the composer. <laughs> Mama, you never know. I mean, <laughs> yeah. oh, who do we have here? Giuseppe Verdi, <laughs> outstanding. Right. Uh,
2: Berlioz, look at yeah. you! Wow, that's that's really good. Uh, I think there were a lot of. Uh, oh my gosh, who are the oh for the frozen characters? Oh yes, know, the, oh yes. That was that was really big right oh, around right. the time we. Could, Came in
1: the the wacky, uh, fun-loving sidekick snowman. Oh yes, I, I forget, Oscar or Orville Olaf or, or Olaf. something. Olaf. I don't know. At any rate, Oscar Peterson. Yes, it's good stuff. But uh, yeah, you know, I, and I don't know about you, Fudd, but for me to hear our intro, that our, cl- our third annual, yes. classic intro to the, you know, from alongside the shadowy waters, and right. There's something about. You know, we've had we've had Halloween's past mm-hmm. where the the costume is almost too hot. You know, <laughs> I mean, it's it's uh, it's almost eighty degrees out, and people are, yeah. are walking the streets with their, which I always found kind of depressing. Their big pillowcases full of full yeah, of, full of swag. <laughs> <It> just <laughs> come on, you know, come on. Get, oh. How about the old round plastic pumpkin? You know, I mean, yeah. it's it's a traditional, and I realize it. You got to stop home and dump it out and go get more. That's fine. I get it. I, I, yeah, I, I, no one's more of a glutton than I. But uh, <laughs> but there's something about these Halloween seasons, and this year has 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 lived up to its billing. Um, it's been brisk. it's yeah. been cool. You know, and cold winds blowing and leaves flying down the streets and uh, yeah, clouds crossing over the moon. It's just uh, this is this is it. Yeah, right. It, it feels, feels like Halloween. It feels. Autumnal.
2: A couple of years ago, well, like you say, it, it was a real warm one at the right. end of October, right. and we uh, we were having our wood floors put in our home, right? And the three three guys that were doing it were deer hunters, and if, they were complaining that oh, it's too warm, you know. You, the, the deer aren't moving, you know, right. when it's
1: this warm, right. they're bedded down, they're not going anywhere.
2: So it is good to have a cool autumn, and we had a cool trip. We uh, did. We did. Couple, what was it? Two weeks ago? Now? Two weeks ago. Yes. As a matter of fact, it uh, it went from. In fact, a couple of weeks ago, you came over for our Tuesday night yep. podcasting yep. session you in a pair of shorts <laughs> yeah.
1: because t- it was like t-shirt with sweatbands. Seventy-five
2: yeah. degree Whoa. day, and by the time we were up at the cabin, it was like forty-two, mm-hmm. and uh, I, I know we we came in, loaded our stuff into the cabin, I got a fire going, but man, it took like plugged in one of those three, space heaters. And- yeah. Yeah, it, it was. was uh, it was. It was slow to to warm up. Slow right, to warm up. Yeah. So yeah. it was like it was an introduction. Like, well, you wanted cool fall, you got it. You here it is. Got it.
1: But no, it was. It was a good trip. It was. It was, and kind of felt good to get back into a traditional cool.
2: Yes. Cool to cold. It was a little bit. Uh, was it kind of dampish, too? Season. It? Yeah,
1: it was a little wet. Yeah. It was. It was the first night up. It was. It was. It was rainy and kind of. Couldn't really get a fire going a a that fire Friday going. night. Yeah, so. it was it was uh, cloud cover the whole bit, but uh, that kind of burned off the next day. And we stood on the
2: dock, uh, having our inaugural stogies, right. uh, look, looking up uh, at the stars and seeing satellites. Satellites They're, moving. It reminded me of, oh gosh, I don't know, maybe like thirty nine years before that, standing on the dock of my my cousin Doug's shack, right, with my dad. Sure, my first duck hunting trip and we stood on the dock and he pointed out uh, uh here here's a cigar fud no no we didn't have cigars but he he pointed out the andromeda galaxy and it's 3 million light years away so uh, we're standing Good in the cold God. and on the next morning and i think i think in our uh hunting show like number 3 i think right. i, I go that into that
1: infamous trip where you were in a duck boat with a 410
2: oh yeah <laughs> yeah i'm sorry and then i, I did took aim at a coot about 15 20 oh, feet what you away. and it just and i missed it completely well if you all right go ahead shoot at it and then i missed, you missed? i'm sure my dad was secretly very pleased didn't have to oh, gosh. do anything with a yeah. dead coot <laughs> anyway so yes there we were uh, a couple of weeks ago standing out in the dark looking at stars and satellites, satellites.
1: and uh, muskrat we had a visitor swimming yeah, in the, the evening. That was enjoying, kind of it. and I'm going to guess that water was—I don't know—50 degrees. It was yeah. warm. Cold. Know? Yeah, it was. It was cold. I don't know, Fud. What do you think? Should we start? Tate's yes. rolling here on uh, our third annual. The third annual. We, we we have
2: been working Halloween toward this episode. We with, have. With we have. some special stories. That for is you to correct. Enjoy. So, that is uh, correct. It's going to be exciting stuff. Make sure you got something, uh, something hot to drink, or whatever. Blanket for your lap, and uh, a, a good spot in front of the fireplace. And maybe, maybe a, a loved one nearby in case you get too spooked, too yeah,
1: freaking out, or something. Right? right. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, not, not the neighbor kid with the flashlight under his chin.
2: Right. <laughs> yes. Well, I guess this is. The equivalent of Bjorn and I holding flashlights under That's our right. chains. <laughs> That's right. Here you go, folks. One of our favorite times ooh, of year, ooh, so here
1: we go. Strap yourselves in. It's about to get weird. Well, all right, then.
2: In the summer of 1975, when I was up north, I stayed for a week at a hotel in Manhattan Beach. There I met William Steves, an elderly minister who was well versed in the traditional ghost stories and legends of some of Minnesota's greatest towns and hamlets. One evening when we were alone, he told me about the dreadful gray ghost that had formerly haunted Frode's Forest alongside the sprawling waters of the whitefish chain. This is his story. One afternoon in the 70s, two young men, Fudd Hall and Bjorn Wren, arrived at a little village near the eastern shore of Oxbow Lake, the inhabitants of which were mostly locals in the area's retired community. The two were avid hikers taking a break from everyday life. After they had a late afternoon meal at a local watering hole, they asked the landlord to tell them the way to Emily, a smallish town in the area where they intended to stay the night. "'There are two ways,' the landlord said. "'The one a good deal longer than the other, "'but preferable when it's getting dusk. "'What difference does that make?' Wren asked. "'Is it an old logging road or something?' "'It is very ruddy and rocky in places,' the landlord said. "'But that's not what I had in mind.' "'What did you have in mind?' Hall queried, eyeing him keenly. "'The barman hesitated. "'There's a stretch of the forest two miles from here "'which has a bad reputation.' robbers the barkeep shook his head what then Ren asked impatiently well the landlord said the folk around here say it is haunted
1: the young man burst out laughing you don't mean to say that you believe in ghosts hall said i've long wanted to see a ghost what is the story associated with the forest there's gotta be one let me guess a murder the barman shrugged there are all sorts of stories but you'd just laugh he proceeded to give them directions as to both ways of getting to Emily. Thanking him and declaring their intention to expose the fraud, or rather ghost, on its home turf, they selected the road through the forest, and with their backpacks once again strapped to their backs, they set off at a brisk pace. At last, the travelers reached the summit of a hill, and deep down beneath them, they saw spread out for some considerable distance a thickly wooded valley, all dark and mysterious in the uncertain twilight. As they descended into it, they became aware of the funereal-like silence which greeted them on all sides. The dale was in fact so heavily wooded that even the wind, which for the last half hour had been blowing with great force along the surface of the hill, was scarcely to be felt there. Occasionally a fitful blast could be heard among the lofty trees when the pale fall leaves gave out a curious husky crackling. Otherwise, all was absolutely, wonderfully still. The two men were so impressed that neither spoke until they arrived at the bottom of the decline and were standing in the almost Stygian darkness amidst the shadows of the foliage on either side of them. Hall was the first to break the silence. These must be the haunted woods, he said. Pretty cheerful, aren't they? They are at that, Wren replied, looking around him, trying to pierce the gloom, but come on, I vote we get out of it as soon as possible. Further on, they came to a wide open spot where there was a crossroads. Here the shadows were very thick, so thick indeed that they had to slow their pace and proceed with caution lest they should take the wrong route. It was while they were thus engaged,
2: straining their eyes and peeping around them apprehensively, that they became impressed with the certainty of some object moving ahead of them through the gloom. At such an hour, for it was now getting late, and in such a dreary place, this was calculated to challenge attention and Wren and Hall found themselves gazing at the object with an intensity that was equal parts disbelief and legitimate fear. By and by they were able to see it a little more clearly and they perceived it as a very tall figure, apparently a man walking at an even pace, but with immensely long strides. He was going in the same direction as they were and was only a few feet in front of them, but to their astonishment they found that although they accelerated their pace, With the idea of overtaking him, they did not approach the least degree nearer. Without seeming to increase his speed, he yet maintained invariably the same distance away from them. They had now struck off alongside a county road they believed to be the right one and were walking tolerably fast. The figure preceding them, however, was seemingly in no way aware of their proximity. For without once turning its head toward them, with the same measured stride, it steadily advanced. At length, Hall, more perhaps to relieve his feelings than anything else, called out. Hey there, who are you? There was no response. The figure did not show by any gesture the slightest consciousness that it had heard, but continued striding on at the same rate and at the same distance. The two friends now suddenly realized that their sense of hearing, which the strangely emphasized silence of the place had rendered abnormally acute, had not caught any sound of footsteps coming from the figure. They could readily decipher the echoes of their own, but the figure seemingly trod with absolute noiselessness. This came as an unpleasant surprise, and soon they became poignantly aware of the advent of novel and distinctly uncomfortable feelings. Pride prevented them admitting this, and they were striving to rally their faculties, and at all events to simulate unconcern when the unexpected happened. The figure abruptly swerved off the road and, making for a large wooden gate leading to the gravel drive, came directly into the moonlight.
1: Both Ren and Hall at once emitted an involuntary cry. Instead of being clothed, the figure was naked. It gleamed a horrible, sinister gray. It had long arms and legs and a peculiarly small and rotund head. And when it suddenly turned and looked at the two travelers, it revealed a strange and startling countenance. The features were more or less human, but the expression in the big, deep, sunken, light green eyes was not. So frightful was it, so indescribably exultant and devilish, that Renan Hall shrank back appalled, too petrified with fear to utter a sound. Fortunately, however, the figure showed no indication to Dally. Moving onward, still with that same peculiar lengthy and measured stride, it advanced up the driveway, eventually disappearing from view around a rather abrupt curve. A few seconds later, there was a faint sound in the direction it had taken, resembling a human cry. And a moment or so later, still from the same direction, a repetition of the noise, but much more prolonged and bearing with it a tone of suffering quite beyond the ability of words to describe. There was another pause, and then apparently nearer, a yell of the most piercing intensity. The animal element in it seemed to strive for mastery with the human and its final echoes had scarcely died away before the whole valley became alive with appalling sounds, with moanings plaintive and yet horribly menacing, with whoopings interspersed with harsh discordant cries and queer, hollow, echoing laughter. This went on for roughly one minute. It then quite suddenly ceased and was followed by an unbroken silence save for the gentle rustling of the fast-dying foliage and the melancholy sighing of the night's breeze. Wren and Hall waited a few minutes till they could sufficiently pull themselves together and then continued their hike, eventually reaching their destination without further trouble. A gentleman by the name of Andy Rourke, hearing about the ghostly experience of Hall and Wren, went to the village inn, where the two men had stopped on their way to Emily and prevailed upon the landlord to tell him anything he knew about that gray ghost in the haunted woods And this is what the barman had to report.
2: Four years ago last April, I was on horseback going through the forest in the early hours of the morning. There's just something about a morning ride. The dawn had only just broken, and the track in places was still dark. Well, when I was pretty near the large wooden gate leading into the old lumber camp, as we call it, my horse suddenly shied, and I saw sitting up by the wayside, up against the trunk of an oak, a tall figure. In the uncertain light, I thought it was a man, some wanderer who was either having a nap or was ill. I called out to him and as he did not reply, I called again and was considering dismounting to see what was the matter with him when he suddenly with amazing agility sprang to his feet. I then got a fearful shock. It was no man at all, but a grim and ghastly caricature of one. It was gigantic, 10 or 12 feet in height it seemed. It was naked its skin being a glistening uniform gray, and its face was like that of a death's head. A death's head, however, with something frightful, luring, and evil in its big round eye sockets. I did not have time to observe more because my horse bolted. But when I eventually reined it in and looked around, I saw the thing, whatever it was, cross the road with enormous bounds and disappear through the gateway leading to the old lumber camp. Here, the barkeep paused for a moment. Then, clearing his throat, he went on again. There were two travelers that the great gray ghost actually touched, or at least one of them. They were walking through the woods when they heard footsteps behind them. They turned and saw following them a great gray shape whose unearthly long arms trailed along the ground. It was of unearthly height, too. Its head seemed to tower up into the trees. In the head was a grinning skull. The men began to run. But the thing covered at one stride 10 times the ground they could. Closer and closer it came, the gigantic gray shape that pursued the fleeing travelers. And suddenly a soft, repugnant something like a cloudy hand half turned to flesh covered the face of one of them like a putrid mask. He shrieked once and fell. The other, howling with horror, ran on. The thing did not pursue him. Next morning, a search party from the village sought the other traveler. They found him wandering through the woods half insane. He never recovered. Here, the barman paused again.
1: And there's no accounting for the haunting? Rourke asked. There are theories, the landlord said. Rourke then inquired of him the name of the present owner of the old lumber camp, and having obtained it, he went on his way. A week later, he was back again in the same neighborhood. In the interval, he had written to the owner of the property and, somewhat to his astonishment, had obtained permission to stay the night there. The night chosen for the expedition proved to be exceptionally wild and stormy. Rourke had invited three friends of his living in the countryside to go with him into the buildings. He had chosen them because they were very stolid, matter-of-fact, hunters, not the type of guys who would let their nerves get the better of them. Having first assured themselves, no one was hiding anywhere in the main house. They looked for a spot to commence their visual and finally selected the room Rourke believed from the descriptions given to him was the haunted chamber. It was at one end of the hallway and had two doors, one leading in from the hallway, the other leading into what was a bathroom. It was an oddly constructed dwelling, for across the middle of it were two pillars and on the wall between them a sinister-looking tapestry. The four friends sat on the floor in a row across from the room. Rourke himself facing towards the hall Moore and Ross towards the tapestry and Donovan facing the entrance to the bathroom. At first, every now and then, they fancied they heard soft footsteps tiptoeing up and down the hallway. Once they sounded as though they were in the room, but after a while, these sounds all died away and there was nothing but silence. Unbroken, save for the occasional rattling of doors and windows and the beating of the raindrops against the window panes. One by one, the four fell asleep to be awakened by hearing the church clock sonorously boom out the power of three. Mr. Moore at once rose to his feet. Look here, he said. It's morning. Nothing's going to happen now, and I have to be at. And he suddenly changed his tone, and with a wild cry of, oh my God, there it is, he staggered back against the wall. The other three looked, and in the dim light of dawn that struggled to get in through the crevices of the shutters, they saw standing tall between the pillars a luminous something, nothing more at first. By and by, however, while all were staring at it, in breathless awe, it suddenly became hideously and alarmingly vivid, and they saw an immense form in black and gray.
2: Ross and Moore glanced at its face, and they said afterwards it was like the face of a corpse only a corpse that was nearly in the skeletal stage, the skin being drawn tightly over the bones, and the mouth devoid of flesh and grinning. The impression it gave them was that it was intensely hostile. Rourke and Donovan contented themselves with peering nervously at the body only. They did not dare look at its face. They stared at it for some moments until it began to advance towards them. Moore finally cracked and howled, Strike a light, one of you! Rourke shakily clicked on a flashlight, and the grim visage at once vanished. The four friends did not stay to discuss what they had just seen. They raced for the hallway immediately and fled from the camp. A week or so later came a sort of sequel to their story. Rourke was again in the neighborhood. Indeed, the place had gripped his curiosity and he had to pass by it. When he was in the valley looking around him, a stranger suddenly came in sight and hallowed him. After a quick discussion, the stranger said that the very night Rourke's party of four were in the house, he himself had also seen the creature. It crossed from there, he said, pointing to a tall, isolated pine on the side of the road, close to a pit with a wide, dark, gaping mouth. Watch that pit closely tomorrow night between midnight and 3 a.m., It is the pit that causes the lumber camp and the whole valley to be haunted. It goes right down to the bowels of the earth. Holes like this attract and harbor a foul and dangerous species of elemental spirit. Precisely at the time he mentioned, Rourke went to the haunted encampment. The night was still, but dark scurrying clouds hinted at possible rain. The pit made his flesh creep. There was something so deep and menacing about its darkness. He approached it cautiously and was gazing at it apprehensively when he got a terrible shock. Rising slowly out of its depthless pits was a luminous ghastly gray head. The frightening thing about it was a lurid glowing light in the depths of the fleshless eye sockets. It was the same horrible phantom that Rourke and his friends had seen in the main house of the lumber camp.
1: Rourke stared at it aghast and when grizzly shoulders gradually arose he did not wait to see any more, but took to his heels. He was quite satisfied that what the stranger had told him about the pit was true. He never went to the woods again. Some years later, the supposed bottomless pit was filled in. When that was done, Frode's forest and its lonely roads apparently ceased to be haunted. The passage of time. Continual. Persistent. Unremitting. Some say time's a human construct. That time doesn't really exist outside the realms of human thought. I guess that's your call. A timepiece that is both functional and classic in design. This is what you need. What you desire. What you must have. Privigeria morti standard and unrelentingly accurate timekeeping since the days of renaissance europe the clock that continues well past your allotted time on this celestial sphere the time measuring instrument that will stay with your line forever privigeria morti clocks we have always been here before
2: whether you're a lumberjack climbing the red pines of the north woods or a weekend parent cleaning up the yard while the kids throw a football. Eversharp axes are the tools you'll need. Oh heck, everyone knows that already, right? But just what is it about Eversharp axes and hatchets that make them the industry standard? It is simple. It is the fact that every Eversharp axe or hatchet that ships to your dealer has been hardened, quenched, and tempered before leaving the forge floor. These blades are ever sharp, and that's not just a company slogan. Every axe and hatchet, double-bladed, single-bit axe or hatchet, is hardened long after the other company axes have been quenched and packaged. Eversharp makes you the solemn promise that you'll never find a sharper blade, a more long-lasting edge on the blade. Eversharps are still keenly cutting while other brands have gone dull. Remember that our quality assurance man, Eager Ed Eversharp, is testing every bit and blade for and cutability before we let the blades off the foundry floor and eager ed's boast is as true today as it was decades ago ever sharp axes keep such a fine edge that even after hours of timber cutting you could still give yourself a razor close shave with that ever sharp bit it's just that sharp and it will stay that sharp cut after cut wherever you take it and whatever you do with it your ever sharp tool has the sharpest bit in the land this tool will never go dull on you Insist on never-sharp axes and hatchets wherever you buy your tools.
1: The moon was high, huge and yellowish-red. Almost what hunters would call a blood moon. It was definitely time to reel in this long-soaked corpse of a minnow from the near channel of the lake. It was almost too dark to still be sitting on a dock with a cigar and a reel in my hand. I stood up slowly, reeling in my line. There was no action on the bobber end of this line. By the time I brought it in, this shiner was long past living, limp, lifeless, immobile, glassy-eyed. The moon shone in those diminutive, unseen eyes. That was when I heard the frothing and the bubbling, a sort of tumult in the water. Behind me, from the live well. Illuminated by moonlight, blood moonlight. There it was, slowly climbing up and out of the water, moving like a set of spidery crabs. Fingers? Drab, gray, green, and bony, gripping slowly and with uncertainty at the chicken wire of the live box. Flesh and nails peeling back, lake weeds hanging off the fingers, and, and now, emerging from that turbulent water, hair? Weeds? Was there still taut skin drawn over that misshapen skull? Clacking teeth and vacant eye sockets as it rose, slowly it rose. I actually felt the terror from within me start to choke off my airway. I would get off this dock if it was the last thing I did on this earth.
2: Temperature. A slight atmospheric disturbance of undetermined origin is reported over Nova Scotia, causing a low pressure area to move down rather rapidly over the northeastern states, bringing a forecast of rain accompanied by winds of light gale force. Maximum temperature 66, minimum 48. This weather report comes to you from the Government Weather Bureau. We take you now to the Mer- Meridian Room in the Hotel Park Plaza in downtown New York, where you will be entertained by the music of Raymond Raquel and his orchestra. was pounding in my temples as I pushed through the moonlit brush. I was used to the brambles and thorns amidst the undergrowth now. I placed the machete in my right hand as I used my left to push away at the underbrush. The night air was thick yet cold. There was a cloying, almost swamp-like humidity in the air as I stealthily made my way through the thickets. My breath rolled like mist from my nostrils. No time to stand idly by. I was of a single purpose now. I must keep pushing through until I I found it. Found them. My family. My lovely wife. Children. Gone. Either left dead on the floor of the house or missing. Missing having left a bloody trail behind them. A trail that disappeared after less than a third of a mile. Could I find them? Could I save them? Oh, they were gone. I knew it in my psyche, and I knew it in my heart. They could never come back, and all that was left to be done was to avenge them, make these things pay the ultimate price for what they had done. Could I do it? Was my anguish, rage, and razor-sharp machete enough to put an end to this butchery? I wasn't sure yet of the full scope of their strength, what they could do to a human even after being cut, being shot, being set alight. At this point, I hadn't the clarity of mind to consider it. There's only one task in front of me now, only one thing to do. I didn't care if I made it out alive. I could see through the clearing ahead, fireflies creating a small light show above the damp muskeg. I could see moonlight set the clearing aglow, that ancient, decrepit, and moss-covered shack, the one Deputy Addison mentioned finding over the police band shortwave before that, too, went dead. One last push through the underbrush, and I'd reached the clearing. A more savvy man would have planned his attack with greater care, more finesse. There was nothing left for me now. I knelt forward in the thickets, listening to that horrible shooing, grunting. There was a pale, crimson light coming from under the drawn shades. The half-closed front door. I tried to guess their number based on the disgusting sounds floating around me as I crouched. Did it matter? No. I realized too late the folly of getting my revenge as a solitary man in the dark holding a farm tool. I did not care. Farm tool? Yes, but a keenly sharp and lengthy farm tool, one I would use with no remorse. If this was going to happen, I'd best move forward. Yet my legs suddenly felt as though cemented to the ground. I was filled with sadness and rage. I must have my revenge, yes. But now a last wave of fear had come over me, hearing the sounds from inside the shack. I must go, and go now. The faces of my loved ones filled my vision as i took a firm grasp on the machete it was time to move
1: and now a tune that never loses favor the ever popular stardust raymond rakello and his orchestra
2: We'll be back in a moment after a few words from our sponsors.
1: Arcola Blue Light Lantern Bulbs are the industry standard in hard-working, hard-wearing lantern lighting. Stronger filament technology puts Arcola Blue Light Bulbs ahead of all other emergency lighting products. Where their bulbs burn out, the blue light continues to shine. Patented Arcola Glass technology is also a plus. Our unique light blue translucent glass is specially made for us from St. Peter Sandstone at a thickness that won't break even if your lantern or flashlight gets dropped. Stronger glass, stronger filaments, a longer lasting combination. And that blue beam will shine out in the darkness if you are rounding up the last of the cattle, searching for the path on the way back from the woods, or walking the high bridge tracks in the darkness, looking for something long-vanished. Arcola blue light bulbs are the lamps you should be putting in your flashlights and hand lanterns right now. Don't delay, switch to Arcola Blue Light, today.
2: Mitt's Coffee has been proudly roasting and grinding the world's finest coffee beans for decades. Mitt's fans have grown in number and appreciative voice over those years as well.
1: At both your finest restaurants and coffee houses, you will find the entire array of Mitt's Coffee's specialty roasts, as well as your old favorites. Mitt's Coffee has something for everyone medium-bodied, decaffeinated blend for those slowing their caffeine intake. A delicious half calf for those who still want some caffeine, but might be enjoying several mugs a day.
2: And the old traditionals are still there to keep you functioning at your best. Whistling Wood Duck, Laughing Goose, and the newest light roast from the roasters at Mitts, Wandering Woodchuck Blonde
1: Roast. Wandering Woodchuck. Light and roast, easy on the palate, but with all the caffeine you'd expect from a top-shelf Mitts roast.
2: But enough chatter from us. Bjorn, I'm glad to announce that multiple new roasts are on offer from our friends at Mitts. And coffee lovers everywhere are fired up. Let's hear what the outdoors experts think about Mitts' fine coffees. This week's featured roast is red-winged medium roast. And who better to ask about this quality blend than a real expert, a red-winged blackbird itself?
1: So how does this new medium-bodied offering live up to its majestic moniker? So,
2: you like the flavor. It's not too rich. Does it still have the caffeine zip you're looking for in the early hours of the morning? <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> ah, we agree. And yet you say this is a coffee that you've been known to enjoy throughout the day, cup after cup, without overdoing it?
2: <laughs> well, I, I guess there's no arguing with that, Bjorn. sir. Yet another satisfied voice from the heart of cabin country. Boy, those red-winged blackbirds really know their stuff when it comes to medium roasts, eh, Bjorn?
1: You said it fun. And I couldn't agree more with our red-winged friends on the popularity of this roast. What a coffee. Here, here. Let me top your mug, Bjorn. Don't mind if I do. Mitch Coffees, the brew that flew with the Great Northwest.
2: Real adventures of the CCOA, the Cabin Country Outdoors Agents, featuring Officer Torgy Torgerson on his tireless efforts to maintain law and order in the unpredictable wilds of Cabin Country. Tonight's episode,
1: Bears in the Moonlight. Early autumn, around the Chain of Lakes area, Fall had been warm and the trees late to turn. Now we were getting to the seasonal blasts of evening and early morning cold that November could offer. Cold sun and a steaming layer of frost in the early morning. Massive walls of leaden clouds swallowing the moon and the stars at night. The wind now had a bite to it. And then a day of 50s or 60s. Uncertain weather to be sure. Many a critter was now considering the subtler points of hibernating. Maybe not yet, but soon. I was savoring my second mug of coffee and looking over the reports on my desk. Applications for some new boathouses on lakes near Emily. Concerns over deer eating the landscaping at some real estate developments near Lower Cullen. A year-rounder off Loon Lake worrying about how to keep a hungry and persistent bald eagle away from her Bichon freeze. Maybe a third mug of Joe would redirect my thinking. The phone rang and I reached for the receiver. I was glad to talk to someone rather than read these reports. Officer Torgerson, outdoors agents. What can I help you with?
3: Officer, this is Harry Kokinson. I run Sweet Pea's Bakery on Twenty Five. I'm calling with some uh, something of a concern.
1: So that would make you Sweet Pea, right, Harry?
3: Yeah, that's that's right, officer. I've I've heard them all. So if you could spare me the comedy, I'm calling you with a problem other than my moniker.
1: Go ahead, Kokinson. What's eating you?
3: Officer Torgerson. is it Torgerson?
1: Yeah, that's right. But you can call me Torgy. Everybody else does. I'm I'm used to it.
3: Well, Tor, this may seem a little strange. I've been running this bakery for years, and I've never seen anything like what I'm seeing lately uh, after hours. I always finish my shift by bagging up the, the day-old bakery goods people aren't real interested in, two-day-old donuts and pastries, and bringing them out to the dumpster. Then I mop up the floors, and while they dry, I go back to the office and count the till. Pretty standard, small business fare. Well, lately I've been staying a little bit later and doing some new product research for the next day. Anyway, while I'm on the desktop checking out new recipes, I'm hearing all kinds of banging around the dumpster. I stay open until 11 o'clock just to make ends meet.
1: Uh, okay, Harry, so you've investigated the noise?
3: Well, I'm, I'm no coward, Tory, but I'm no dunderhead either. It's just me here after nine, and so it gets much darker earlier now. You know, th- that commotion near the dumpster, it's like someone's trying to be discreet you get my meaning. I'm not on the edge of town, so I doubt I've got bears. While I'm looking out the window at the trash area, what I've seen twice now has left me scratching my head. Uh, maybe I should call a, a paranormal investigator.
0: Where are
1: you going with this, Harry? What is it you've seen?
3: Tori, I'm not sure what I've been seeing. I swear it's like the old stories about the bear man or the the, the windigo. Uh, have I lost you yet? No, no. Well, this thing appears to be bear-like, yet bipedal. It's... Big, broad-shouldered and thick-necked with a huge, bear-like head. Climbs in and out of that dumpster with all the bags I dumped in uh, Did I mention it's big? And the eyes tore you. They almost glow. But for a large mammal, this thing has an almost unnatural grace. That's n- nimble, I'd call it. Strangely quiet for a beast of that size.
1: Well, I gotta ask, did you approach it, Kokinson? I would hope you had the sense to stay in the shop.
3: Yeah, I'll be straight with you. I wasn't going out there. Coward? No, but I'm no dummy either. I don't know what that was, but it was bigger than me. Light on its giant feet and hungry. No, no, sir, I stayed put.
1: So if you had to call this creature something, what would you refer to it as? I need something for the report. Once this is a live agency action, we have to have something to go on.
3: And I'm going to sound like a nut. So be it. Torgy, I'd say this looks like the closest thing I've ever seen. That might meet the description of a Bigfoot. But I've got to be accurate here. Let's head on that thing. Like pictures I've seen of a brown or Kodiak bear. I'd say it looks more like a bear-human hybrid. We don't have brown bears around here, Torgy.
1: No, we don't. What we have are black bears in various color phases, various stages of growth. This could be a lighter-phase black bear that's grown to abnormally large size. Warmer temperatures, readily available food, who knows?
3: Again, I, I worry about my local reputation, you hit. Have you heard of the Windigo?
1: I have, Harry. If you don't mind me saying so, the stuff of folktales. Mythology. I'm not going to head in that direction with this
3: case. Well, you know best. I'll tell you, though, that thing was big, quiet, and spry. God, it was quick out of that dumpster, and other than the sound of the metal cover being opened, I wouldn't have known it was out there. I'm reluctant to call it a windigo or a werebear tori, but what else could it be? It even smelled like a wild beast. Foul! The third time I saw it, I was ready to go after it. I had my 12-gauge loaded with deer slugs, and I was planning to let fly. I got to the alley door of the bakery, and I couldn't believe my nose. Wow, what a stench. I forgot all about the gun and slammed the door shut. It took off with a bag in its teeth, leaning forward and loping away on its hind feet. I know what you're thinking padlock the dumpster i tell you it's beyond that now torgy i believe this thing to be dangerous i want to be able to park behind my business to walk the alley after dark without fear the sight of this thing has me questioning my thinking you know what the heck is it how does it keep getting away it's like a bad joke on youtube has become a real thing No, torgy i i need your help in ending this folktale
1: i asked harry kokinson what time this activity seemed to happen at he said it was intermittent. Happened three or four times now. Always late at night. He was at the point where he was upset and wanted answers. He was ready to try to end this with a heavy gauge firearm if he had to. This is where cabin country agents step in. Let's keep things, people and critters, safe. I told Kokinson I'd be by with a thermos full of hot coffee, a pair of night binoculars, my service revolver, and an open mind. I'd sit and watch the alley and his dumpster. We'd get to the bottom of this. Ah, yes, the chill of post-Halloween evenings in the north. Frost setting in. Seeing your breath in the cab before the truck warms up. The darkness. Cabin country darkness seems to settle in like a heavy blanket. Not like in the cities when I visit my cousin, Terrible Tim. There's always action in the cities. It never stops. No, the North Lakes country gets quiet, deep, and dark. Night vision binoculars? Check. Loaded sidearm? Check. Radio is working and the heat is on. Check, full thermos of hot coffee. Never any doubt about that. No, it was time. Bring the agency truck through the back alley behind Sweet Peas Bakery and into a parking cut on several businesses away. Back the truck in so I could still see Harry's dumpster. Cut the parking lights. The headlights are off before I go down the alley. Cut the engine. Crack the windows so I don't fog over and I watch that dumpster. Maybe fill my coffee mug off the thermos. Never take my eyes off the bakery's dumpster though. Keep the radio on low in case I get called. Key in the ignition. Time begins to crawl a bit. I'm giving Kokinson's dumpster my full attention, but I guess I'm beginning to wonder just how far-fetched this story is. Lycanthropes in the chain of lakes area? Werebears in general? Come on. About one hour's gone by. Curious sounds from the rear of the truck, barely perceptible. Or was there? My coffee mug is empty, and I catch myself actually nodding sleepily towards the steering wheel. I shake my head, clear my thoughts, take a big pull off my coffee, and glance at the dumpster. I haven't missed anything, right? I'm looking now through the windshield. No way. I believe I'm watching an autumnal meteor shower. One after another, flashing across the sky and disappearing. How great is this? It's been a while since I've been lucky enough to witness something this amazing. And suddenly, the North Country's night sky seems more majestic. More all-encompassing. This is unreal and so crystal clear in the cold night air. Wow! And then the clang of metal on metal. Now I saw something. A big hairy shape lumbering into the open dumpster. Is the darkness playing tricks on me? That thing's bigger than me by a long shot. I believe on this one I'll stay in the truck and get pursuit that way. I guess I wasn't taking this seriously enough to bring the tranquilizer gun or maybe it just slipped my mind. And I can't let Cap Martinez catch wind of that. Whatever, Torgy, focus. Be where your feet are. I flip the switch on the searchlight and aim it at the dumpster. I swear to the listeners that the dumpster actually begins to shake. A giant shape with an enormous neck and head comes up over the edge of that dumpster. I keep the light trained on the shape. Again, when I say it's big, I feel I'm doing the listener a disservice. I'll move into descriptive phase wearing my agent's hat. It had an upper torso and a grizzled head, more like a Kodiak bear than a black bear. Big, powerful, I kid you not, the eyes seemed to glow red. Another shake of the head and silent prayer for clarity. Nope, those eyes seemed to glow with traces of red. It made a lot of guttural noises, and then much to my surprise, this creature seemed to vault out of the dumpster like a gymnast. I kept the light trained on it as it landed on four giant paws, a large black trash bag on the ground next to it. The thing rose up on two legs and threw its head back with a roar. I believe I shook my head again and tried to clear my thoughts. And suddenly there was a wall of smoke. I couldn't see anything. The searchlight didn't cut through the smoke. This was like something out of a campfire bull session. Spooky stories to scare the younger ones. I became an outdoors agent again and gritted my teeth. I loosened the retention strap on my holster and turned the key in the ignition. I'd give chase, by gad. Whatever this was, it wasn't giving me the slip. The engine coughed and was as sluggish as I'd ever heard it. Then it stalled. I turned it again and pumped the gas. Let's go! I yelled. A sputter. Some weak idling. Another stall. And on the next turn of the key, strong smell of gasoline. No firing at all. Are you kidding me? I now realized I was yelling at a truck. By myself. In a darkened alley. At midnight. Oh well. As the smoke cleared, it was quite clear that whatever had raided the dumpster was gone. From the smell of rotten eggs in the air, it was also clear that the supernatural smoke cover was the result of some smoke bombs, the kind you buy at a fireworks stand. I took a short walk around the dumpster and found the hollowed out cases of two smoke bombs near the scorch marks they left on the asphalt. I was, however, still smelling a distinctly strong wild animal smell on the dumpster. This was getting interesting. I popped the hood of the truck. Everything was in order, but I'd clearly flooded the engine. I walked around the truck with my flashlight. Aha! What was that sticking out of the exhaust pipe? That was a good-sized and possible ribbon-winning example of a Minnesota red potato. I had heard something while I was watching that meteor shower. Something, or more likely someone, had stuck a spud in my tailpipe to forestall my pursuit. There was less and less of the paranormal about this event as I continued to investigate. Other than the smell of wildlife, this was starting to look like one elaborate setup. Once the spark plugs had dried a bit, I got the truck back on the road. I brought the potato into the agency along with the empty smoke bomb cases.
2: Torgy, this is quite a production. What did Kokinson say was in the dumpster?
1: Two-day-old donuts, Captain.
2: Seems like a lot of work for free stale donuts, Torgy. We're seeing this one through. You get back out there tonight and take the trank gun with you. We'll get this guy. Where bare my foot? You got it, Captain. And Torgy? Captain? Put a screen over your tailpipe, huh?
1: The truck had recovered after a short stint in the mechanics bay at the agency. New plugs and a fresh fuel filter. They also installed a metal mesh guard over the tailpipe. No more foreign objects being stuffed up the exhaust. I made it a point to drop in on Harry Kokinson during business hours the next day.
3: Smoke bombs and a spud in the tailpipe, huh? Well, I figured someone was messing with me. Good thing I didn't let fly with my 12-gauge. Two-day-old Bismarcks aren't worth a prison ramp.
1: You said it, Harry. If you'll leave this up to the agency, we'll solve this caper. I'm coming back tonight and every night until we can put an end to these shenanigans.
3: Thanks, Torgy. It's good to know you agents have my back. It's not even that big a deal, but it's just the obnoxiousness of it. You know, I I wanted to stop, and I I want the safety of a hooligan-free alley again. Now it's all declares. Next, it might be vandalism or theft. Enough.
1: I had help tonight. Things were kind of slow at the office, and we had agent power to spare. I had my truck on the street in front of Sweet Peas and down a block. Agent Tom Novak had his truck opposite me at the other end of the alley in between two buildings. We were both out of our trucks but with keys in the ignition. It was near midnight in a small municipality. We weren't too worried about truck theft. I asked Novak to set up camp behind another dumpster on the opposite side of the alley, down a ways from Sweet Pea's dumpster. I also handed him a pair of hand warmer inserts for his gloves. Using a passkey given me by Harry Kokinson, I got up on the roof of Sweet Peas Bakery and did my best to keep an eye on the dumpster while staying low and out of sight. I told him to have his service revolver ready, but that firearms would not be our first line of defense. We were pretty certain that we knew how this caper would end, if we could bring it to a safe and final conclusion. I was a bit concerned about that overpowering smell. That was the confusing part of all this. An hour or so of inaction. Thank goodness for those hand warmers. And no coffee out here on the roof behind the dumpster. Unheard of. I was really starting to feel the cold creeping into my toes when I saw the shadow, a big shadow. Then I felt my phone vibrate from Novak. There it is, be ready. Oh, I was ready. Novak had the tranquilizer gun behind the dumpster. It was a rifle, distance wasn't gonna be a problem. I was ready with a taser, some pepper spray, my baton, and if needed, my gun. Sweet Peas was a single-story business. Once this thing came up to the side of the dumpster, it wasn't more than six feet away from me. The shadowy beast seemed to be very thoughtful about its steps. It was lurched over, not walking on all fours, but leaning forward while walking on its hind legs. And sure enough, those eyes were rimmed with a reddish glow. And I was already picking up on that smell again. Wild. Foul. Yuck. The creature appeared to be looking in all directions, moving its head pensively and considering its options. Sniffing at the air with a slightly raised head, if this thing wasn't really a, some form of bear, it was doing a pretty convincing act. It must have been convinced that there was no danger. It pushed the door of the dumpster open. The clang was not something that could be squelched. Paws on the edge of the trash bin, and it vaulted up and into the dumpster. It started digging through the trash. I texted Novak, "Get a bead on the dumpster with that trank rifle." Immediate response, tenfold. Proceed. I crept to the edge of the roof and peered over the raised edge. This lycanthrope shapeshifter was pawing open a hefty bag full of old baked goods and smelling it. It appeared to be standing like a human. I had a pretty good idea what to do next. Freeze, I yelled and flashed my flashlight beam on. Don't move or Agent Novak will pull that trigger and put you to sleep, big fella. I had my taser in my left hand. I didn't want to risk holding the 38. Staying in character, the werebear roared mightily and tried to vault out of the dumpster, still clinging to the bakery bag with his left paw. I had warned it. I let fly with the taser and I heard the roar become louder and weirder, a bizarre tape loop that was distorted beyond recognition. I also noted that the eyes quit glowing, and one of them popped out of its orbit and shot sparks at the end of several wires. Novak was rapidly advancing on what we now knew to be a person in a suit, with the Trank rifle trained on his torso. Don't move, buddy. I got you covered. I was hopped up on adrenaline and somehow scrambled off the roof and onto the asphalt. As I approached this tasered individual, I cut the power and the werebear human stopped twitching. Novak advanced as I took the paws off the hands of this guy. The cuffs went on easily over what were now clearly normal sized human hands and wrists. We called the Chain of Lakes police, who responded quite rapidly. I took my cuffs off this person and the police officers took over from there.
2: Yeah, you seem to have this all figured out, Targy. How'd you get the insides
1: on all this? Well, even a couple of nights ago when our werebear here gave me the slip and roared away into the night, I knew something was up. Smoke bombs, glowing eyes, a potato in the exhaust pipe. This wasn't supernatural, this was human. He may have had some of the locals fooled, but not me. A lycanthrope doesn't need to mess with your truck in order to get away with a bag full of day-olds.
2: Uh, two day-olds. Right. Well then, who's a creepy, night prowling dumpster diver, then, here?
1: We pulled the headpiece off the bear suit to reveal a thick-necked, gray-haired man. Looking a bit worse for the wear, having just been tased.
3: Brad Preston, if you must know. Why am I in cuffs and being put in a squad car?
1: I knew it was a person. There's no such thing as a bear, And bears don't usually come into the city to raid bakery dumpsters. When the bear escaped from me using fireworks and exhaust system trickery, I knew something was up, but why is my question. What's the point of all this?
3: I was an active man in my working years, and then I had to retire. Didn't want to, had to. Something about mandatory age and the physicality of the job. Hogwash. I could still wrestle in the university if they needed a heavyweight. I'm more fit than half the young guys in the warehouse. Too old? Bah! It wasn't the money. I can afford bakery items. It was the challenge of pulling a caper. And showing the Chain of Lakes area I was still fit enough to pull it off. Ooh, it was exciting being the Chain of Lakes wear bear You don't get a lot of excitement in retirement. And it showed I still had the strength to load truck at the freight yards. More than most of the guys half my age. And I'd still be doing it. I'd still be getting away with my act if it wasn't for these meddling outdoors agents.
1: Well, there you have it. The end of a saga. The Northwoods lycanthrope was a retired warehouse guy who was bored with retirement and craved some physical excitement.
3: What am I under arrest for? Is dumpster diving for old baked goods a jailable offense? Are you kidding me? I'm getting a lawyer who chomps a big cigar, and we'll see about this.
2: Well, that was quite
1: a tale, Torgy. I'm glad you got it all sorted out. Me too, Captain. You know something? What's that? Full moons have always made me roar for a donut.
2: (laughs) Join us again for another exciting story on Real Stories of the Cabin Country Outdoors Agents. This has been a CCN production. This program is a work of fiction. Names, characters, places, and incidents are either products of the author's imagination or are used fictitiously. Any similarity to actual events, locations, or persons living or dead is entirely coincidental. Well, as always, that's uh, a lot of creepy fun. A lot of good clean fun. You know, we, we enjoy. Uh, Hopefully, made the scalps tingle just a little bit. The spines shiver. Yes, indeed. Uh, make the fire seem a little extra cozy, and that's right. Necessary and shadows a little more sinister, perhaps. Right. Yes, and what is our favorite uh, mysterious traveler? We hope that these stories
1: stories tonight thrilled you a little and and chilled you chilled a little. You a little yes it's an annual favorite we love to uh try love to to put together it. a great show of, right. of are they kidding us or is this for real <laughs> <laughs> yes exactly uh, yes and if you really get a need for more of this feel free to go back and listen to the Bowfin. Uh, oh yeah homage to right uh, orson wells our our favorite ever our, our it was one of our our first uh,
2: 2022 episodes at uh, 2022 yes Kind of, uh, which I know Wells in his War of the Worlds did his on, like, Halloween night, I think. Back in 1939,
1: I believe it was. 38, 39. I was going to say the only thing that would have been better would have been, like, April 1st. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Congratulations. We just invaded Earth, you know. Right. Boy, did we have you going. Anyway. Yes,
2: indeed. Well, I'd like to thank you for hanging around with us. Without a doubt. I hope we didn't
1: freak you out too much tonight. uh, Yeah. And uh, what were you saying, two foot about one of our one of our
2: bigger, oh, bigger
1: guests or f- fans? I should say really enjoys.
2: Well, I know there's one one person I talked to who falls asleep listening to us. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and at once, I think when my wife listened to once, she she listened on on the plane. When she... calmed her down on an air, on an aircraft. Calmed yeah, her down. Yeah,
1: kept looking out the window at that thing on the wing <laughs> right. banging away on the engine twilight zone voices our voices soothed her
2: yes indeed everything's all right bjorn and fudd have got me lulled into a, a, a peaceful easy feeling could i have
3: no. another cup of decaf
2: <laughs> nothing like a good ghost yarn a good ghost
1: tale coming across the the radio right or in this so, case the digital podcast yes it's yes all it. the same does i think it's about time to sign off we'll call it a night we'll let all the right. fires embers die down here and the cabin door slings shut. Take the pot off the stove. Sounds good. Until next time.